Some of you might remember uh, the man who was known as a love doctor. His name was Leo Biscaglia. Uh, some of you do? Okay. He uh, tells a story about a day in his life. Probably was not unlike the last week. Hot and uh, kind of an ugly day. His interior spirit was about the same as, as the day everything was going wrong. And finally he decided that he would uh, have to get away and, and take a trip up to the lake, which was in the mountains not too far from uh, where he was. Of course, the air conditioning didn't work in his car. Uh, and being that it was terribly warm, he rolled on the window and he just anticipated that one piece of bad news was going to be followed by another piece of bad news. But he was looking forward to being up at the lake. And he got to that part of the lake. It was just the last a half a mile or so. Got on the dirt road. I kind of envisioned Let's Lake up there. Some of you know that area. He was going to get up there and he was looking forward to it. And, but the dirt road caused the dust to come into the car. It was just, you know, what he anticipated. But soon he would be at the lake. Whereupon this uh, car started to come at him and there was a young man, a teenager, uh, hanging out the window and he yelled, pig, pig. And that was just about all Boscalia could handle. He was uh, frustrated, he was angry. He leaned out the window himself and he yelled back at him, sow, sow. Uh, whereupon he turned the curve in the road and, and ran into a pig. <laughs> Some of the irritations that we have can cause us to think that one thing is going to be worse than the next thing, and we, uh, we tend to be a little bit like Pascalia was as we um, think about things not going our particular way. And we, we close down sometimes to suggestions that maybe we're part of the problem and don't like to be told by people sometimes that we maybe need to make some changes in our, in our own life. We, we like to believe in God and, and trust the way he does things, but we also want to be in control. And we don't like it when things are taken out of our, our control, even when it comes to Jesus. We like to think we understand this, this gentle shepherd who calls us to, uh, to himself. He, he will lead us to green pastures and, and still waters. He is the Lord of love. And I, I remember going to church regularly when I was uh, staying with my aunt, and the pastor, every single Sunday, preached about the love of Jesus. And so it was a, it was a good service, and Jesus certainly is love. But after Sunday, after Sunday of hearing God is love, you begin to wonder if, if this wasn't sort of a short-shifting Jesus' personality. Isn't he a broader personality than always uh, being the good shepherd? And certainly, you run into a text like today, and uh, you begin to wonder, what does that mean? I've come not to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. As I was preparing for the text, one of the uh, one of the thoughts was uh, a man who was writing about his mother-in-law who happened to be Catholic. He said, this can't be a true story. This has got to be all wrong. Jesus would never uh, call for uh, a man to speak against his father, to separate family's mother against her daughter. Uh, this does not sound like Jesus. It, it might, uh, must just be a mistake that it got into the, Matthew's gospel. Well, if you think about the nature of Jesus, uh, maybe sometimes we're guilty of, of putting even him uh, into a box. And some have, have said about this particular pericope that maybe uh, it was a gloss that came later. Uh, it was added to the Gospel of Matthew at a time when under Domitian or Nero perhaps the, uh, the, the, the actual reality was that people who claimed to follow Jesus were being separated from their families. They were to be sent to death by uh, lions. Remember the terrible story of the early Christian martyrs? 
uh, or maybe uh, burned at the stake, and families were separated one for another for claiming to be uh, followers of Jesus. So maybe this was the rationale, or maybe all along Jesus was saying something tough about discipleship that people just plain did not want to hear. What was it like to be faithful in our discipleship? You recall that the context that these disciples, disciples means learner, by the way, uh, as compared to apostles are declaring a message. Uh, a disciple is learning as, uh, as they go, so to speak. And they, they are being sent out by Jesus into places where he certainly knew that their message, that is, his lordship, the kingdom of God is near, what he was proclaiming, would be rejected. He knew that he was going to, the, the disciples, be facing a hard row uh, in many of the places where they would be preaching, and they would face frustrations. And Jesus' message of love uh, was certainly not adequate to meet all of those particular issues. Jesus um, is calling us in response not always to be automatons, and you know, not just being people who uh, come out with a message and not deal with the changes that are occurring in the culture. He's calling us to confront some of the issues with good answers about his faithfulness and not to just give a, 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 a repeated message. And, and you know, sometimes you've been aware of churches that tell you if you just believe uh, in a certain set state of, of, of uh, beliefs about the Bible, how many people will be saved for heaven or whatever the issues may be, if you just simply believe in the in the simple creed, you're guaranteed of your salvation. It's not quite that simple in terms of the way Jesus was talking to his disciples to listen to other people and what they have to say and apply the message of the good news uh, to the reality of your situation. Can we be willing to grow in times of change? You know, change, change is mandatory. Change is mandatory. We're gonna have to face changes in the society in which we live. But faith is optional. Change is mandatory, but faith is optional. Uh, I don't know, I went into Best Buy, an electronic store, and was looking for a certain old-fashioned piece of equipment, a DVD and VCR player. And I encountered all of the things, they didn't have any of those, they're so outdated, they no longer even make them. There were so many changes in terms of electronics and the speed with which people can do things on their telephones that we never even thought about doing before. Change is occurring. It does occur. Are we ready and equipped to respond to the change? And how is it we trust that God's moving with us? You know, the, the, the faith journey is that. It's not a, a set, staid set of rules. It is a journey. Uh, a journey of faith calls us to adjust and make changes as we move forward. That's why I enjoyed always uh, those GPS systems that talk to you about um, needing to recalculate. We, we're, we're always going to run into situations and we're going to have to recalculate. And not that we're always going to be found, but uh, we certainly can find a different path. I was uh, reading the Ken Follett's book, I have to look at the title, The Edge of Eternity. I don't know, it's a trilogy. Some of you are familiar with Ken Follett's book. And he was talking about uh, many things and the changes that occur over different uh, contexts, but the one I was interested in was the, uh, the, the freedom train. 
The Freedom Train had to do at the, the black community, in particular, as Ken Follett was focusing in on. He, he does historical novels, as uh, perhaps some of you know. And he was talking about uh, Mississippi, which is the context for a lot of conflicts, uh, particularly for the, for the black community. This was the focus of his, his novel. And it didn't uh, occur to me how difficult it was. You know, when we don't live through times of incredible change, uh, we don't necessarily think about what those particularly the black community faced before the civil rights uh, agenda became well known under the Kennedy administration. And so the book was looking at a period of intense racial justice and change and how some of the staid ways of looking at life uh, were being confronted. And I, it was amazing for me to read about how the black community uh, was abused and put down, and, and the bigoted white community at that particular time, how right they thought they were uh, to do the very thing uh, that prevented the black community from finding uh, and being set free, finding their freedom. Uh, it was an awkward, terrible time in our country's history, but change was occurring. And as he talked about Martin Luther King's, it's kind of ironic, uh, the next thought that came to me was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but both wrote papers from prison and, and talked about what God called them to do in the journey of faith, that God controlled the future uh, and was going with them during these terrible times of dramatic social upheaval. God was leading them through that time of change and their witness made a difference and ultimately the future changed in part because of, of their faithfulness. We, we forget some of those times of how the country changed and what it was, was like for the people on the, the front lines of those changes to occur. You know, and Jesus is sending his disciples out into a world that is changing dramatically. And he's calling them to be learners as well as proclaimers of the good news. The, the other person who wrote a dramatic uh, Christmas letter actually was Dietrich Bonhoeffer a German pastor, uh, he was uh, not a great name like Martin Niemöller, but during World, actually during World War II, the closing days of uh, World War II, the war in Europe ended in May of 45, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the last prisoner in, in Spandau, uh, a prison, the only one who was still there, and he was there because he refused to accept that Hitler was the head of the state church, and Hitler never forgot him and he kept him in prison. It was just one month before the, world, the war ended that the message came down to have uh, Bonhoeffer shot. And he wrote a letter from Christmas, at Christmas time, how he could not change his mind because it was so important for him to be faithful to the gospel of Christ. And, and the message uh, broke his family up. They said, why can't you compromise? Why can't you just simply accepted that the war is almost over anyhow. And he wrote back in a, a terrible encounter with his family that he could not, could not withdraw his feelings about uh, the church and Hitler not being uh, an acceptable leader of the German Lutheran church. And so he was assassinated uh, just a month before the war actually ended. Change is there. How faithful will we be to this Christ who calls us sometimes to separate ourselves even from uh, those that we love the most? Uh, certainly the, the early Christian martyrs were separated. F family members from family members, 
uh, and it was a terrible, terrible time. But those changes still call us uh, to believe uh, that faith can lead us into the future that God has in mind for us. And we certainly face a change in this church as we, uh, we have a new pastor, an old pastor is going, and the new pastor it happens to be mung. Um, where will God lead us into the future uh, that is not yet? Uh, the other thing that made me think about uh, change was the serenity prayer. How many of you know that serenity prayer? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask that question because it's so much associated with the 12-step program and that may identify you as one who goes to those places. I hope that's not what I... I didn't intend to do that part of it, so I, if uh, somebody started to think that way, I didn't think about that way until I asked that question. But serenity uh, may not be the only going, and we so often repeat that prayer that we miss what Reinhold Niebuhr had in mind, uh, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, it strikes me that we, we all want progress, but we just don't want any changes. We want progress, but no changes. So, and so we resist those changes, especially when it comes to some of the changes that we ourselves have to make. When you think about Paul's letter about sin, sin's not a popular word. I don't have to remind you of that. We laugh at it. Uh, we, uh, we don't necessarily even preach very much about it from the pulpit anymore. Uh, but if you put it in the context, if you don't repent of your sin, you're destined to live with the results of it. We, we laugh at the word sin, and certainly uh, in this time of change, we, we don't use it very much in public discourse, but you notice public discourse has changed. All right now, especially in the political arena, we certainly wouldn't talk about sin, but the vulgar language that we use certainly tells us that some different kind of thinking is taking place when we can point out the other person's sin, but not our own. Uh, now that the, the the sense of right and wrong has to do with me being politically more correct and you being wrong. And now the language about how wrong you are is becoming stronger and, and vulgar. Does it have something to do with looking at our own way of approaching life, our own sin? You know, Paul's words to us, uh, kind of strange if you think about it, he's talking about grace. We, we love to talk about grace, but you can't talk about grace apart from sin. Paul was facing an interesting kind of challenge. You know, people said, well, if Jesus died for our sin, grace abounds, and shouldn't we be more bold in our sinning so that we can be more aware of the grace that encounters us? You know, it seems to be kind of a mantra for the time, if you think about it. There's no real repercussion from the wrong that we're doing. There's no punishment anymore. Isn't that, isn't that sort of the sense in which you sense the political atmosphere is moving? We don't have to worry about being wrong. We don't have to confess our sin. I'll confess the other guy's sin or the other guy's problem. Doesn't that seem to be the political sense in which we face uh, the world today, especially the political world? Sin is a one-way street, but grace allows for U-turns. Paul got it. It wasn't that we should sin the more boldly because grace abounds. We're called to be a repentant people. That doesn't seem to be part of the political discourse today, to repent of our sin. Hey, a friend came up and had on a, her bumper sticker, you know, Second Chronicles 7.14. It's, it's a well-known quote, but I was uh, surprised to see it on a bumper sticker. Yeah, and it, but it certainly is a thought that comes to us in this time about 
repentance. If my people, remember the quote? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and confess their sin, then I will look down from heaven, I will hear their prayer, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We, we need healing. Healing begins with confession of our own sin and putting the future into God's hands. Paul certainly was a part of that kind of thinking. He repented, he experienced grace, and he talked about the need for each of us to repent. The serenity prayer I talked about. I'm going to get the quote I have it in my Bible. When, my, when Reinhold Niebuhr wrote this prayer, most frequently associated now with the 12-step program, it's interesting how um, only part of the prayer is spoken. Um, it's used to, to help people deal with a need to change and to accept the things they cannot change. And you know the first part. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change the things that, which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. That, that's the part of the, the familiar uh, serenity prayer that is frequently prayed and we're certainly aware of as a public. There is the rest of the prayer. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, Talk, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So that, and this is the part that is meaningful, especially for those folks going through very difficult times and stressful times, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen.